the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If the cross of Christ is all that it's meant to be, then it stands in time as the Magna Carta of the human soul that says no more. God sent his son into this world to destroy the works of the devil. And we see in time judgment in Jesus at Calvary's cross, the judgment that we deserve in him there. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. The last time we were together, we brought you the first portion of the Church of Pergamum and the call to biblical obedience. We will conclude that broadcast here today, and thanks for joining us. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast. I'll have information on how you can attend the worship service in person if you would like. You can also attend anytime online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Here now is Pastor Mike with the conclusion to the Church of Pergamum and the call to biblical obedience. They were part of that faithful early Roman Catholic Church that was universal in the world that loved Jesus and obeyed his word. They were faithful to God the Father and his son Jesus Christ. One is mentioned by name in Revelation 2.13. His name is Antipas. The name Antipas is a combination of two Greek words. Anti, now we know what that means. What does anti mean? It means against or now, good Greek students will know it means something else, in place of, okay? And that's why Antichrist isn't just someone who opposes Christ. He can be someone who takes the place of Christ, someone who puts himself where Jesus only should be. So anti means against or in place of. Now, pos, now I've spent some time developing it with you this morning. Pos, P-A-S, is really the root word for the Greek word father, papa, pa. Antipas means against a father or in place of a father. It's not God the Father, but these false church fathers that the prophecy is talking about here when it refers to his faithful witness or martyr who was Antipas. The Bible is clear that Antipas was faithful and he eventually died where Satan dwells. In the year 251 to 258 AD, a godly church leader in Rome stood up to the compromise that was going on among those so-called church fathers who were scandalizing the church. He had been elected as the bishop of Rome. He refused to reinstate apostate church leaders, men who had sacrificed to Caesar or an idol, men who had bowed down to something God said we should not bow down to, men who had said, I will be part of the worship of Mithra and forget Jesus until the persecution passed. When they denied Jesus Christ, he could not bring it into himself to allow them to be leaders in the church again. He was unwilling to let the leadership of the apostolic church shift to a corrupted clergy that compromised the Bible and the truth of the gospel. He would not deny God's name. 
Novation, the Bishop of Rome, is known by many in the Catholic Church today as the first anti-pope. Why? Because he took his stand for Bible truth over the authority of the church. He placed the law of God and the word of God over these church fathers that were unwilling to submit to Jesus. Now, I'll tell you right now, Novation is one of my heroes, the Bishop of Rome in the year 251. He was the official Bishop of Rome. But when he stood up for the truth, he was excommunicated, humiliated, harassed, pursued, and he eventually was martyred for his faith. The Greek word translated here as witness in Revelation 2.16 is the word martyr. Antipas was the faithful martyr. In history, his name was Novation. He was accused by Pope Cornelius of being possessed by Satan. Why? Because he wanted to follow the teachings of Peter from the word of God, not that which others said Peter said when it didn't agree with it. His crime was his honest belief in the Bible. Novation claimed that the keys of Peter do not mean that the church can change the word of God, that God is not in contradiction. No latter authority figure can make war with the teachings of Jesus. Peter would never do that, nor would he. In the 4th and 5th century, Novation's followers were followed by a group of Christians in northern Africa called the Donatists. They opposed Augustine of Hippo, the great theologian of the church at the Council of Carthage in 397 A.D. Why? They believed that the Bible should be the test of what decisions are made, not the ruminations of, of theologians and clerics. And so they took their stand for Bible truth over man's clever ideas. You know, we like to follow great leaders today. Am I right? Yes or no? I mean, don't we like somebody who can speak articulately for God? Don't we like someone who looks good? Let me ask you this question. Would you rather follow a great person or follow the word of God and not appear to be great? Would you rather stand for Jesus or fall for anything in the world? Would you rather blindly follow an authority figure, or submit yourself to God's word that Christ might be formed in you. Friend, we are living in a day when people in the world today would rather follow the great leaders than follow the one who is the leader, Jesus. The people who have stood for the Bible have been persecuted by those who quickly set it aside because they think they're smart. And so Novation died, a martyr's death where Satan dwells. Revelation 2.14, Jesus continues, But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice immorality. Now, Novation was fighting for the very stuff Moses was fighting for in Numbers 25. Balaam brought false religion and idol worship right into the camp of Israel. He corrupted the leaders of Israel with harlots and false religion. I mean, it happened just before they got to the promised land. And so Moses stood up to oppose him, and conflict followed for the faith, and people lost their lives in that conflict. Novation also stood up for the same reason, and he lost his life for the truth of the Bible. Balaam brought false worship, immorality, and false religion right into God's church. I mean, we live in an age of compromise. I was reading Time Magazine not long ago, and it was talking about how to win people in this present era, we should really do things that we see occurring in the modern popular rock scene. That if we can get the right music, we can articulate in the right way, then Christianity will be relevant. Friend, God has not called Christianity to be relevant. God has called Christianity to engage the world kingdom system with the truth of the Bible. God has called the Christian church to take its stand in the time of the end, to stand for the Christ of the cross who died for sin, 
to stand for the truth that loves the sinner enough to do that, but not to compromise that truth. Balaam brought false worship, immorality, and false religion right into God's church. The Bible is the only bulwark against this kind of unbelief. And the men and women who think that they are smarter than the Bible have historically corrupted the church in the same way. So the religious practice of Balaam is the same thing here as the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Look at Revelation 2, verse 15. Let's read it. So you also have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now the key words here are so and also. The Greek is a little more clear. Literally, in this way, you also have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Then we have a word we don't see in our English translation, likewise, or in the same way. The Nicolaitans were identified in Revelation 2.2 as those who claim to be apostles but who are not. At the time of Novation in the 3rd century, church fathers were beginning to claim that they were heirs to apostolic authority. Setting the Bible aside, they claimed apostolic authority. The bishop of Rome claimed in time that he had the very keys of Peter, even though he wasn't Peter. They pulled Novation off the seat of Peter so they could put someone in his place who would not agree with the New Testament. What does the word Nicolaitan mean? The key to understanding is found in the Balaam story of Numbers 25. Look at Numbers 25, verse 18. For they have harassed you with their wiles. Do you see the word wiles? Maybe you see that word in the translation. Some translators will say schemes, with which they beguiled you in the matter of Peor, in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of the prince of Midian, their sister, who was slain on the day of the plague on account of Peor. This is the Balaam story. Now, the Hebrew word for wiles or schemes is the root word for Nicolaitan. It's nakal. The Aramaic translation at the time of Christ and John used the word Nicolahon. It almost sounds identical. The Hebrew root means to deceive, to plot, or to be crafty. The Nicolaitans were those who were trying to overthrow the church, claiming to be apostles and church fathers when they had no right to make the claim at all. Jacob Buchard, in his famous work, The Age of Constantine, described the problem in the church era symbolized by the church of Pergamum. He writes on page 306, The Age of Constantine, Constantine found the clergy already so suitably organized for power. He therefore gave the clergy every possible guarantee of favor, even as far as a sort of participation in rule. And in return, the clergy were the most devoted agents for spreading his power and completely ignored the fact that he still stood with one foot in paganism and that his hands were over and over again stained with blood. Revelation 2.16, Jesus is speaking. Here's what he says. Repent then. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. Christ is very clear that this false movement of fake apostolic authority would be in existence in the church at the second coming when he would smite the nations with the sword of his mouth. Jesus' authority, friend, is Bible authority. It is not man's authority. I mean, if I got up here and I tried to give you a good lecture on philosophy, I should sit down. If I got up here and I tried to tell you what I think you should do, I should sit down. The only authority that this desk has is the authority that is derived from the Bible, the Word of God. Revelation 19.15, from his mouth issues a sharp sword with which to smite the nations. And it's describing the second coming. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. You know, when people act like they're smarter than the Bible... 
They are in for a whole heap of trouble when Jesus comes. Every age has theologians who act like they're smarter than the Scriptures. It happened in the early church. It happened in the Middle Ages. It's happened in our church. In the end, these people will be judged by the Word of God. Revelation 2.17, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone, which no one knows except him who receives it. Now Christ here offers the one who overcomes three gifts. Gift number one is hidden manna. Gift number two is a white stone. And gift number three is a new name, and on the stone that is a personal and private name, it is one that only the person knows who receives it. Now, gift number one is called hidden manna. When God gave manna, now what's manna? The word manna is just a Hebrew word that means what is it? When bread fell from heaven, and they went out to collect it in Exodus 16, you know what they called it? Manna. What is it? Now, I do not recommend that next Thanksgiving as food is placed on the table, that you call it manna. Like if you come to the table and you say, what is it? You're probably going to get in trouble with the lady who cooked the food. But that's what they called it. What is it? And they ate what is it for 40 years. They didn't have a clue what it was. When God gave manna in Exodus 16, he reinstituted the Sabbath at the same time. Manna came with the Sabbath. Manna fell on six days, but on the Sabbath it didn't fall at all. On Friday, twice as much manna fell, so there would be enough so you wouldn't have to go work on the Sabbath. So God used manna to reinstitute the Sabbath because the children of Israel had been in Egypt for hundreds of years. He taught them what the Sabbath is before he gave his law at Mount Sinai. Now some people say, well, you know, the law at Sinai is the old covenant, nail the cross. Well, you have a problem with the Sabbath, even with that logic. God institutes the Sabbath before he speaks his law at Mount Sinai because it goes back to creation. So you can't separate God's bread from Sabbath day's bread in the story. In Leviticus 24.8, God commanded the priest to replace the bread of the presence on the table of showbread in the holy place of the sanctuary. Every Sabbath it was to be renewed. In 1 Samuel 21.6, David was given Sabbath bread when he fled from Saul. And the Bible is very clear that it was hot bread that David ate. Why? Because it was renewed on the Sabbath. It was hot bread. Hot bread that is really warm for the heart comes on the Sabbath day to you. Now, why is it hidden manna that God offers the one who overcomes? God communicated the manna was to be placed before the Ten Commandments in the secret place of his personal presence. I mean, manna wasn't just stuck in a wall. It wasn't put in some storage container in the sanctuary. It was placed right inside the most holy place. Look at Exodus 16.33. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it where? What does it say? Before the Lord. So if you're going to get manna, you have to come into contact with the Lord. And then it says, it wouldn't go stale. Manna lasts forever to be kept throughout your generations. It did not spoil. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony. That's another way of saying the Ten Commandments, to be kept. Hidden manna is the manna you get in God's presence when you respect his law. In Acts 5.32, the apostle Peter made it very clear that the Holy Spirit is given only to those who obey God. Manna was placed inside the ark, and no one could see it but the high priest on the great day of atonement. The ark of the covenant held the hidden manna. 
And when you found the hidden manna, you were looking at the law of God at the same time. God doesn't give hidden manna to most people. It may come as a surprise. We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend a live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. You won't get the deep things of God by compromise. God doesn't give hidden manna to men and women who challenge His name by doing away with His law. He will not do that. Hebrews 9.3, behind the second curtain, stood a tent called the Holy of Holies, having the golden altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, which contained a golden urn. Gold represents the divine presence, a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's rod that budded in the tables of the covenant, meaning the Ten Commandments. In Psalms seventy-eight twenty-four, manna represented bread from heaven. And why did God give it to his people? Why did he give them this kind of food? Manna, what is it? Deuteronomy 8.4 has the answer. Take your Bibles and turn with me. The Bible says, And God humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know. What is it? Manna. Nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but that man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Friend, hidden man is God's truth you couldn't figure out on your own. Hidden man is God's truth that God makes you know because we're too dull to get it. Hidden manna is God's word, not our ideas. Hidden manna is found in the presence of God. It's not tradition. It's not what you come up with. It's what God gives you from the Bible, the word of God, in the secret place where God's law is found. The person who is willing to obey God will understand and receive this hidden manna. Jesus said in John 7, 17, If any man's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking of my own authority. You see, if a person is unwilling to follow the truth that God has given them, God's not going to give them more truth. But when that person takes baby steps forward, when they say, Lord, lead me, it's hard, but I choose to do your will, at that moment, the great God of the universe begins to orchestrate events and things so that person can understand. In the end, hidden man is a man. Hidden manna is a man who is God. The man who is God is the bread of life. The bread of life is a man, and to live forever, you must feed on him, the manna man. The hidden manna is Jesus, and he is ultimately the feast of God. In John 6, 51, Jesus said, I am the living bread, which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the world is my flesh. You can't separate hidden manna from Jesus. You can't separate God's law from Jesus. You can't separate God's word and truth from Jesus. Christ is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. All that God spoke in the Old Testament was placed inside a man who is the very word of God. There is no contradiction between what God said at Sinai and what Jesus said on the cross. Now, the stone is white because manna was white in this story. 
Exodus 16, 31. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like the wafers made with honey. Christ offers the one who overcomes three things. Gift number one is hidden manna. Gift number two is a white stone, white like manna. As I said in Exodus 16, 31, the Bible records that manna was white. The hidden stone is white like manna. The robe of righteous deeds that is a gift to those who believe in Jesus Christ. And Revelation 19, 8 is bright. The same robe in Revelation 7, 14 is white. And why is it given? For the marriage supper of the Lamb. There will be manna at the marriage supper of the Lamb. White robes are given for the marriage of the Lamb. So a white robe represents the purity of a life that comes when you accept God's word, when you bow down and Jesus becomes Lord for you and you follow Jesus with faith. A white stone is given to you. The Greek word that is used for stone here means a small stone you cast when you vote. It's used two places in the New Testament. Here in Acts 26.10, it means a voting stone. A black stone meant rejection, and a white stone meant acceptance. So if Christ gives you a white stone, what is he saying? He's saying, I accept you. The one who follows God's word, the one who loves Christ and is willing to die for him, that person is accepted. The third gift is a new name that comes with this white stone. A new name represents a changed character. And when you overcome, dear heart, you receive a new name because your character has been changed. You may be a failure as far as the world is concerned. You may have let yourself down. The long list of sins that you have committed may have risen up high in your mind and you may feel it deep within. But friend, if you lay hold of the word of God, take your Bible in your hand again. Take it. You lay hold of the word of God as God's life through Jesus to you. You overcome in his name. And you're not the one that needs to manage how well you overcome. Christ is the one who finishes the work in you. Christ is the one who gave the seed of the word of God. It is his spirit that works in you that will bring you through to the end. But if you do not lay hold of the word of God, you don't have access to this power. Peter says it's through the precious promises of God that we become partakers of the divine nature. When Jacob overcame, God changed his name to Israel because he had prevailed with God. Jesus says he will write upon that white stone, which represents his vote of acceptance, a new name that only you can know. You know, in the Bible, victory is personal, something between you and Jesus alone. And no one overcomes in the end without obedience to the law of God and the word of God in the Bible. I mean, if you want a program to get to heaven, you want to set aside God's word, you won't get there. While you are saved by faith in Christ alone, you cannot willfully disregard his word. But don't fall in the trap of managing someone else's walk with God. God has placed you to be his witness, not a, not a judge. It's really not your business how well someone else is doing. You can't compare yourself to someone else in the pursuit of faith, and you shouldn't even try. When you overcome for real, and I mean real overcoming, it's personal between you and Jesus. You know it deep inside. And when you taste the hidden manna from him, You are changed forever because you have feasted with him. You have entered into the most holy place before the Lord, before the tables of the testimony, in the presence of God, the hidden manna. Manna is for a feast and the marriage supper of the Lamb and the final feast. The key phrase I'd like to dwell on as we end is Jesus' promise in Revelation 2.17. It is the phrase, I will 
give. I will give. Let it soak in. Jesus says, I will give. No one is really changed by just trying hard. The key is to come to Christ, to accept his word as a living element in your life, as the bread of life, as the extension of Jesus in your life for your soul. Feast with Jesus on Jesus. Let him draw you into his presence, into the holy of holies, where the hidden man is found, and where the law of God is at, and the man and man meet, and when there is mercy at the mercy seat of God, where every prayer is yes in Jesus, where forgiveness is sure and sound. And there you will hear Jesus say, I will give him a white stone with a new name. The white stone is a symbol of acceptance, Jesus' vote that you are in. And this acceptance is never achieved, dear heart. It is only received. It's not the product of good works. It is the fruit of faith that believes that God is able to do what he has promised in his word. In the end, victory, acceptance, and eternal life is really a gift that Jesus gives to the one who treasures the whole word of God without compromise. And so Antipas died as a true witness and martyr to make it so. Revelation 2.17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone which no one knows except him who receives it. That will conclude the Church of Pergamum and the College of Biblical Obedience. We hope that you enjoyed it. Remember, it's available for you online at reachingyourheart.com. And if you would like to attend in person at the church, we would love for you to do that. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. Reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening, and we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Amen.